Have you ever played a game of tug of war? Or have you ever seen one? Maybe on a youth camp, you played the game with a group or by yourself, or maybe you played with your dog. It's quite simple. You have a rope or a stick, and one person holds one end, the other person holds the other end, and you pull at the same time, trying to pull so hard that you pull the other person towards you. Now, whoever is stronger and able to pull the center of the rope towards a certain line, it crosses a certain line, they will win. Now, some people have described life to be like that, that there is a tug of war, a battle between good and evil, pulling them from one side to the other side. Sometimes good wins, and sometimes evil wins. Ever feel like the Christian life feels like that? Is that really what it's meant to be? Well, let's see. In the letters to the Galatians, Paul is calling the people of the churches in Galatia, in modern-day Turkey, back to the gospel, back to faith in Christ alone. He reminds them of the original message that we, he would have proclaimed to them. A message of belonging to Christ, being sons of God, being his children because of being rescued from death. They belong to God now. He would have said, don't veer off from that message. Paul is actually concerned with the Galatians about them, pretty much like a father for his children. He worried that they have been thrown off track by the false teachers who tell them that they need to take on the Mosaic law to be God's people. He warns them not to come under slavery of following the law again. It would mean that Christ's death is of no value. It doesn't make sense to go back. He would say to them, you, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, not to do whatever you want, but to serve one another in love. The entire law is fulfilled by this one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul is speaking into a particular situation that the Galatians are facing just before we start today's reading from chapter 5, verse 16. After talking about serving one another humbly in love, he makes a statement. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The Galatians were having some real relational problems amongst themselves. In a way, it seems, they were accusing and envying each other, treating one another. And Paul says, like yeast that affects the whole batch of dough, it was threatening to destroy the Galatian church. So Paul continues his argument by picking up a theme that we have looked at in chapter 3, where he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun your new life by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to complete it by means of the flesh? Now let's read from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. 
the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Throughout the letter, Paul is constantly pointing the Galatians to their newfound identity. They are God's children through faith in his son Jesus. They were slaves, now they are free. Paul is referring to the flesh as the desires that belong to our old life. The life before belonging to Christ. And the Spirit, he is referred to as the new life, the life of God in us, the new creation that we are a part of, in which we belong to Christ because we have died with him and have crucified the desires of the flesh and are renewed, being brought to life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This new life or newfound identity, it's kind of like that of oil and vinegar. Oil and vinegar are really hard to mix, and it separates really easily. The reason for this is that on the molecular level, they repel each other. They don't mix. They are opposites. You can try to mix them by shaking really hard, but ultimately, they will separate again. They are in conflict with each other. The Holy Spirit and the flesh repel each other. What the flesh desires is completely contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. There's no gelling or emulsifying of the two. It's, it's one or the other. They are separate. Now that's interesting, you might say. How come I still sin? How come I still sometimes long for the things that are wrong? How come it's so hard to deal with sin in my life? What we have to understand is the reality of the already and not yet of the kingdom of God. Baptism is a great example of that. When we get baptized, we believe that our old self dies with Christ and is left behind in the water. When we come up out of that water, we believe that we have been raised to new life in Christ who was raised from the dead. In faith, we believe that we have become a new creation, but, but we have not yet received renewed bodies. One day when Jesus returns and heaven comes to renew the earth, we will be receiving new bodies. Right now, we live in this in-between stage of the already and not yet. We live in a broken world and sometimes experience brokenness ourselves. Pain, 
from the past, sickness in our bodies, relationships that are imperfect still. But here's the thing. We are not alone. We are not left as orphans, as Paul says in another letter to a church. We have received the Holy Spirit. We received the Holy Spirit by faith as a gift. He is the advocate or helper that Jesus talks about in John chapter 14, verse 17. He says to his disciples, The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. True believers live in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in them, as a contrast to living in the realm of the flesh. It is the Spirit who enables us to walk in freedom. And this is something that we cannot muster up ourselves. And that's just the point that Paul is making over and over again. If you live according to the flesh, you have no share in the kingdom of God. And trying to, to beat the law won't help either. If you are under the law, it will lead to death. Because it cannot produce righteousness in us. The law can only point out what we are doing wrong. It has no power to actually help us or help us to do what is right. But Paul says, if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. We are spirit people now. The Spirit has replaced the law in keeping our fleshly desires in check. There is no need for the, for the law to rule us. Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and me in the church. He is the one who empowers us to love, to do what is right. He is the one who produces good fruit in us. And the point that Paul seems to make over and over, it is the Holy Spirit. This is so important to get into our hearts and mind. Because we can sometimes get so bogged down with the, with the interior battle of sin in our lives. And we can feel so helpless. We experience this tug of war between spirit and flesh. It, it can feel like sometimes this, the spirit wins and sometimes the flesh wins. Well, I've got something to tell you. Something really important. Jesus has won forever. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus has won forever. He died for your sins. And those who belong to him, meaning those who have put their faith in Jesus, you and me have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And after three days of laying dead in a tomb, he rose from the dead and gave you his Holy Spirit. He has won the war. He has won the tug of war. It is forever sealed. We are His sons and daughters. We are Holy Spirit people for now and forever. Praise God. And when you do sin, run to Jesus. Be quick to ask for His forgiveness and receive His grace. He knew you from the beginning, knows what you have done wrong, knows what you will do wrong in the future. You have not been perfected yet. But God is at work in you, forming the character of Christ in you by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Paul is full of faith here. He's full of confidence. He's not listing um, rules to make ourselves better. He's not saying, do all of these things so that you love one another better. He's not telling you how to be a better Christian. He's saying, act on this new reality and uses words that describe action. Like walk, keep in step, live by and be led by the Holy Spirit. They are imperatives. They are connected to a promise and description of a new reality in our lives. It says, walk by the Spirit and, the promise, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. This is a new reality. Walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. You who belong to the Spirit, walk with Him. Stay close to Him. And you will not do as you once did. You do not need to earn approval. You, do, you don't have to do things in your own strength. The Spirit to whom you stay close to, He will help you. The law told us that we ought to love one another. But the law was not able to produce that in us. It showed us that we cannot properly love one another. And it did not help us nor transform us. We are no longer under that law. But as Paul says, if we will intentionally walk by the Spirit, He will produce exactly that. Love. A couple of years ago, when I was a teenager, I was part of a soccer team. And I had played with, this, with these guys since I was six years old and knew them very well. And there was one guy. There was one guy. He, he was a great player and um, also a bit arrogant, but I think I was too. And unfortunately, we both aimed for the same position in the field. Um, or we tried to go for, for taking the free kicks or the penalties or the corner kicks. We both believed we were actually better than the other. Many times this led to such frustration and we tried to put each other down many times with words or just by tackling each other. He wasn't always the best team player, but he was probably a bit better than I was. It was quite poisonous actually, because there were times that it affected the whole team because of the negativity. And one day before practice, I was frustrated with this guy and I had a quick thought in my mind. Why don't you bless him? Why don't you pray a blessing over him instead of thinking badly about him? Maybe this will change your view of him. I think the Holy Spirit convicted me of not loving my teammate. In my heart, I was tearing him down so that I could play. I was being selfish. I would sometimes talk bad about him to others, hoping that some would agree and make me feel better about myself. How does that make for a good teammate? How does that help the team? I envied him. I tried to provoke him. But because of the Holy Spirit, I prayed a blessing over him while I prayed by myself. And as that started happening, I started encouraging him here and there, telling him he did a good job, or trying to speak well of him to others. I would shout, great pass, well done, instead of bad thoughts in my mind and stay quiet when he did something well. And over time, 
we actually started to become friends and hang out a lot. And I came to a point, not always, of rejoicing his success. Now, this came with a cost because, first of all, I would need to humble myself and I might lose my starting position. I wasn't, I was, it wasn't always without herd because it wasn't always returned to me by him. But as I lined up with the Spirit, in my words and actions, the situation improved and a friendship formed. You might be going through some real struggles in your relationships, deep wounds caused by others, maybe wounds you have caused, wishing others ill who are doing better than you are, talking behind their back and tearing them down. Maybe there are people in the church that you just cannot stand. Maybe they have offended you or hurt you. First of all, forgive them. Secondly, you can ask Jesus to help you bless them. It doesn't mean you have to be best buddies all of a sudden, but you are called to love because Christ has loved you. Thirdly, maybe start to pray a blessing over them. Now, from there on, it might lead into some practical ways of blessing them. There might be a chance to tell someone that you forgive them. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness yourself. Maybe extend help to your coworker who has never helped you and you actually don't really like them, so you don't want to help them. Maybe extend some help to them. There can be many ways, but allow the Spirit to speak into it and line up with Him in action. There's real power and grace in submitting to the will of the Spirit. As followers of Jesus, we belong to Him. We've been invited into a relationship, one that is marked by closeness and intimacy with Him alone. And it transforms us. He has given us a new heart, resulting in new motivations through the life of the Spirit in us. Now, the world doesn't make it easier for us. It's not, the world is not very quiet about what it thinks of other people. You look at the lists, list of the works of the flesh, and you're like, yes, that's still all here. Things like hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. We've seen a lot of it, especially over the last year with COVID, political and social turmoil in our country. It's in your face every day. It sells so well. There are videos of people just being angry at each other, people just tearing each other down on the social media platforms, on the news. Our society is constantly fed with it. Surely, surely the people of God, those who walk with the Spirit, are to look and behave differently. While this is costly and not easy to do, the people of the Spirit, Paul says, if they walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, are led by the Spirit, they will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. This is what it will look like with the people of the Spirit. Love will be amongst them. They are characterized by love. They do not need the law to produce that in them. The law wasn't able to. But the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, He can. And there will be kindness. There will be peace. There will be joy. 
goodness, and so much more. Our God is a generous God. He will give plenty of his fruit to his children. He is just that good. In my own story, which was just one of the many, as I lined up with the Spirit in my words and actions, my situation, my relationship with this friend started to heal and bring real fruit. It's now a friendship, mutual respect and love. Now, you might have similar stories to mine. The Holy Spirit's prompting and conviction is proof of a new reality that we are His children. It shows that we are Holy Spirit people. That is why Paul is so confident in his encouragement. We are spirit people now. He is therefore empowering us for life and produces fruit in us as we line up with the Spirit. We have been invited to walk with the Holy Spirit to bless those around us. The fruit that grows by the doing of the Spirit will come to those who fix their eyes on Him and walk with Him. It will be genuine and glorious fruit. And I'm confident of that because that's what the Spirit does. He cannot help but overflow with love. It's what Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are. God cannot help but pour out His generous love to us. And He invites us to be part of that. Being empowered with the Spirit and walking with Him, we will also be generous in loving others just like He is. It is inevitable. That's what people of the Holy Spirit do. And I would like to encourage you, just like Paul, go walk with the Spirit and you will see fruit. Go and bless those around you. Let this fruit be enjoyed by everyone. Now, before we end, I'd like to end with a prayer. And maybe you can pray along with me in the quiet. If you're meeting in a group, maybe you can say this out loud together. It's an excerpt from a prayer by Scotty Smith. Father God, I know I belong to Christ Jesus, and I know the dominion of sin has been broken in my life forever. I also know you live in me, and I know I live by you. So guide my steps into the limitless and lawless realm of your fruit. Bring forth more of the loveliness of Jesus in my life, that others may be fed and marvel at the mercy and grace of such a Savior. By the good news and great power of the gospel, grant me quick repentances and unmistakable signs of your work in my life. From little buds to a full harvest. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God bless you.